Well, hello. And we are back in Daniel again, Daniel chapter 10. And it's good to be with you today, wherever you are. I want to encourage you to get your Bibles out. Maybe they're on the phone. Maybe they're on pages in front of you. Uh, Get them out and we'll be working through Daniel chapter 10 together. And um, uh, (laughs) here's something to make you smile. Uh, Previously... At the start of this year, probably, I um, was using another Bible to preach. And at times, uh, that was a bit newer Bible and the pages would turn. But also, I found at times the words were a little small. And uh, more recently, I've been using uh, this Bible. And and <laughs> I've got a problem. The words are appearing a little bit small again. And I'm in this quandary now whether to wear glasses or not. But anyway, today I think I can see it clearly enough. I've got this light shining above me and that's very helpful. And um, I hope that as we look at God's word together, uh, God will bring it to life for us. Let's, uh, let's have a look at, uh, at Daniel 10. Now, uh, we're going to just go through the passage slowly today and uh, pick out little bits along the way and then when we, um, when we get through, I've got three points that I, I think are worth us noticing from this passage. And um, just as we think about what the background of Daniel 10 has been, we, uh, we see that through the early part of Daniel, there's lots of narrative there. Narrative about what happens with Daniel and his friends. And we see lots as well of God dealing with the various kings, Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, uh, and then Darius, uh, and now here in chapter 10, we find ourselves with Cyrus, and um, I'll talk to that in a moment. But from chapter 7 onwards, it's dominated by the visions that God gives to prepare his people for the long faithfulness they need as they return from exile in the coming time. And there's more of that coming in chapter 11 and 12. But in the middle here of this last half of the book, we get a look at some of the humanity of Daniel. And I think it's good for us to see he's a real person. He's not just this, this, uh, you know, larger than life, better than us, biblical character back there somewhere that was somehow different from us. No, Daniel's a real person. And it's good for us to see some of his humanity here and help us to connect with, with the way God is at work in him and what maybe God might mean to, um, to do in us. And in chapter 9, we see he, that he is affected. He's affected by the situation of God's people and he confesses their sin before God in prayer. And we looked at that last week. Now here in chapter 10, just as I guess a broad headline for the chapter, we find that Daniel is affected by a messenger from heaven. But also in the midst of that, it is evident that his prayer has affected history. It's affected the spiritual universe. It's affected the heavens as well. And so today we're going to see a bit of that. Daniel was affected by this heavenly messenger, but also we find that that Daniel, as he prays, he affects the spiritual universe and the heavens around him too. Let's have a look at the text and uh, we'll just slowly work through it. We find in verse 1, in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia. Now, just uh, a pause there. Cyrus. Uh, who, who is Cyrus? Well, 
Cyrus was the Persian emperor who conquered Babylon in 539 BC. So back at the end of chapter 5, Cyrus was the Persian emperor. It was the it was the empire of the Medes and the Persians, you might remember. And Cyrus put Darius the Mede in charge here in what was Babylon. So we're still in the time of Darius, who we've been with in chapter 6 and chapter 9. Um, but it is, uh, we're referring now to the emperor who rules over all of that kingdom. And uh, so we go on. The third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel. Now I want to pause again here it's going to be a little bit of pausing for a couple of verses this word what is this word well I think we can simply understand that the word that's being referred to here is the content of chapter 11 and chapter 12 you see uh, chapter 10 is a big introduction a whole chapter to, to introduce chapter 11 and 12 that's where the content of the vision the word is and I guess the big intro here of a whole chapter gives us a sense that this vision is no little thing. And um, it's, a, it's a big deal. I guess you, you, you may have found yourself at times as, uh, as somebody is telling you a story and they, they say, I've got a big story to tell you. And, and what that means is that there is a big introduction as well. And as they go through their big introduction, their big setup for the story, then you hear eventually uh, the long story. And sometimes, well, <laughs> you may have had the experience that they've got lost in the intro. I hope we don't get lost in the intro here today in chapter 10. Chapter 10 is the intro for chapter 11 and 12. So a word was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belteshazzar. And the word was true. And it was a great conflict, or it spoke of a great conflict, might be another translation. And he understood the word and had understanding of the vision. Now, from verse 2 in chapter 10 is what it, is what it meant for Daniel to receive that vision. Um, and so we go on. We find, in those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. And we ask ourselves, why is Daniel mourning? Maybe... He's still trying to work out the vision at the end of chapter 9. We're, we're not really told why he's mourning, but, you know, those verses 24 to 27 of chapter 9, they're puzzling stuff. And maybe a couple of years later, Daniel's still trying to work out uh, that vision. Um, you know, <laughs> we can sympathize with him a little bit because we're still puzzling over it 2,000 years later. Uh, but I think it's more likely that Daniel is starting to hear of some of the trouble and the struggle that his people are having as they've gone back to Jerusalem. And, um, and Ezra details this, the book of Ezra. If you want to see some of that, go to, to the book of Ezra. But um, when uh, Babylon was defeated by the, by the Medes and the Persians, um, the decree came from Cyrus, this emperor, that, they, that the people of Israel, those who wanted to, a remnant, could go back to Jerusalem. And, uh, and so they did. This, is, this has happened in the time between chapter 6 and chapter 10. And we well might ask, well, why didn't Daniel go? He's a, he's a man who, who obviously had Jerusalem in his heart. We read that he's praying towards Jerusalem. Why didn't he go? Well, I guess it's pretty simple. Ask any 80-year-old uh, how they would go with a four-month walk in sandals. <laughs> I think that is probably the simple reason why Daniel didn't go. He, he, he was old, 
and, uh, and the trek back to Jerusalem was, was beyond him. And so Daniel was here in, in what is now Persia, uh, and he is mourning. And, um, and as we think about that idea of mourning, I think it should be read as mourning before God. He's lamenting. He's, he's praying. Verse 12, when we get to it, seems to indicate that, uh, that Daniel has been praying and Daniel's prayer has been heard. We'll come to that. And, um, and so we find that Daniel was mourning and he's mourning for three weeks. Verse 3, I ate no delicacies. No meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris River, I lifted up my eyes and looked and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Uphaz round his waist. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning. His eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. Just pause on that for a moment. What is this? Who is this? Is, is a question. He's obviously a magnificent being in front of him it resembles uh, a man but it, it it looks like gems it's um, that's the the barrel there has appearance of lightning eyes like flaming torches um what is this well i think we can understand that this is an angel or some sort of heavenly messenger you know that the language that we have there in verses 5 and 6, it, it makes us wonder if this is Jesus. It's not a long way from the language of, of, uh, of John in Revelation. Um, but I just can't apply the language of verse 13 to Jesus, though. Have a listen to verse 13. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief priests, came, chief princes came to help me. And I think to myself, well... I can't imagine Jesus, the Lord of heaven, having some uh, minion prince, some minion territorial spirit opposing him for 21 days. So that leads me away from thinking that it's Jesus, but it is at least some kind of spectacular heavenly being that stands before Daniel. Let's go on. Uh, verse, verse 7. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision. For the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great trembling fell upon them, and they fled to hide themselves. So I was left alone and saw this great vision, and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed, and I retained no strength. Then I heard the sound of his words, and as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in deep sleep with my face to the ground. And behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees." Let's pause there for a moment and just imagine the scene. Uh, Daniel is there with his companions by the river. They look up and suddenly, whoa, there's this heavenly being in front of them. And, uh, and in that moment, Daniel stunned is just, is just rooted to the spot. He, he can't move. <laughs> uh, but his friends, they're so terrified, they've just, they've just vanished. They're gone whoosh he looks around there's nobody there where, where have you all gone it's nobody there it's just it's just him and as he stands there and and sees this heavenly being he is 
he is just brought undone. It's not just cool, groovy, amazing. It, it is something that absolutely rocks him to his core. And, um, and Daniel was terrified. Let's, let's go on. Verse 11, and he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright. For now, for now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken to this word to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before God, your words have been heard. And I have come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. But, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me for I was left there with the kings of Persia. Let's just pause on that. Verse 13, I guess, as we understand it, it indicates that there is some kind of, of cosmic battle going on there between heavenly beings. It comes again in verse 20, a similar sort of language. And I guess what we understand is that there is this spiritual element, this spiritual warfare that we've described that is going on. We, we seem to have some sort of territorial spirits here, uh, angels uh, looking after uh, territories or boundaries. And um, uh, and that is what he presents uh, to Daniel. We get an insight into a spiritual realm that we can't readily, readily see in front of us in our material world. Uh, and then uh, we go on and, and verse 14. And I came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days. For the vision is for days yet to come. Verse 15. When he had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face to the ground, toward the ground and was mute. Now, at verse 15, I think we are probably to understand there that that is where Daniel receives the vision that is described in verses, um, in, sorry, in chapter 11 and 12. Um, he may have received it there. It may have just been chronologically moving on, but, but somewhere there is that, um, is that word that he has received. And, um, and so we go on, verse 16. And behold, one in the likeness of the children of man touched my lips. So, so sorry, I should go back. The reason I say that is because uh, Daniel hears it and, um, and he's just... He's just left mute. He can't speak. Uh, he doesn't know what to say to the words that he has heard. Um, and behold, one in the likeness of the children of man touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spoke. I said to him who stood before me, O oh my Lord, by reason of the vision, pains have come upon me and I retain no strength. How can my Lord's servant talk with my Lord? For now no strength remains in me and no breath is left in me. So when he says, my Lord's servant there, he's basically saying, how can I talk with you? Verse 18, again, one having the appearance of a man touched me and strengthened me. That's not somebody different. That's the same, the same heavenly being there with him. And verse 19, and he said, O man greatly loved, fear not. Peace be with you. Be strong and of good courage. 
And as he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, let my Lord speak for you have strengthened me. Then he said, do you know why I've come to you? But now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. But I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is none who contends by my side against these except Michael, your prince. And so there is the account of what happens to Daniel as he receives this vision that's described in chapter 11 and chapter 12. And, uh, and I guess it's, a, it's no small pun to say it's an arresting narrative for us to see there. It, it arrests our attention and it clearly arrested Daniel as he was uh, there before this heavenly being. And I want us to see three, I think, relatively simple things here as we look at this chapter 10. I, I want us to see, firstly, that Daniel is affected by God's messenger and by his message. Daniel is affected by God's messenger and he's affected by his message as well. And we see that there in verses 8 to 10. We, we dwelt on it uh, a little bit as we were there. And, and what I want us to notice is that, is that meeting with God or, or heavenly beings, it's a monumental thing. It, it's no little inconsequential thing. You see, the description that we have of this messenger from heaven it is very, very impressive. There's no doubt about that, and we, and we dwelt on that just a little bit. But it is, it is a, if you can imagine that being being in front of you, it just captivates Daniel's vision, and he can't look anywhere else. In fact, it's so magnificent that he's terrified by it. You know, I think of Psalm 8. And in Psalm 8, the psalmist describes humanity as being just a little lower than the heavenly beings. But, you know, as I look at this, this gives us the impression that that little gap between us and them is still, wow. It is still remarkable. It is still terrifying, that gap that is there between humanity and heavenly beings. But we really get an idea of how breathtaking this being is by the response of humans. Everybody is terrified. Everybody else runs away from Daniel and Daniel's legs just won't work and he just, he just stays there and eventually he falls to the ground. But everybody who encounters this heavenly being is terrified by it. And the following verses that come after, they, they show that Daniel is a mess. Uh, he's not just left there in that state wonderfully. As we go through, we see that it takes nearly all the chapter, but, but God rejuvenates him um, after undoing him there. At, uh, at the end, um, in verse 19, Daniel says, Let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. So God doesn't leave him a mess with this encounter with this heavenly being, but he rejuvenates him as we go on through the chapter. But, but we ask ourselves, well, is Daniel just weak? Is Daniel just a weak character? And I've got to say, I think no. You see, the pattern of the Bible is that humans are undone. They are brought undone. They react exactly like this whenever they meet with heavenly beings. You go to Isaiah, and, and in chapter 6, we find that, that Isaiah meets this heavenly being and says, Woe is me, for I am undone. 
You, you go to Ezekiel, and in chapter 1, you find just about exactly the same reaction as, as Daniel. He just falls to the ground. His face is on the ground. You, you go to Paul in Acts chapter 8. He meets with the, the risen Lord Jesus on the road to Damascus, and boom, everything stops, and he's blinded, and he just can't do anything. He is brought undone. You go to the end of the Bible in, in Revelation chapter 1, and John, he meets with Jesus again too, and and he is just left undone. He's left speechless. He feels like he has nothing that he can say. And I just want us to understand as we look at, at Daniel here and as we consider those other characters of the Bible that we've just mentioned, we can be dearly loved, but still terrified by the majesty and magnificence of God. And that is right. That is how it should be I, I want to go on and say too we can love the word of God but we can still find that it stops us dead in our tracks and leaves us undone as God impresses it on us and that's good for us to hear because it helps us not reduce God or his message down to some amorphous little bit of play-doh that we shape according to what we want I read this story in one of uh, the commentaries I was reading this week, and I thought it was, it was very good. It was a story about uh, John MacArthur, um, a preacher in the U.S., and, and uh, he tells the story of, um, of a man coming to speak with him after he'd been preaching one day. And he told him that uh, how he, he often saw the Lord. He, he had visions of, of the Lord and that, and that Jesus talked with him often. And then as an example, the man said, you know, he'll come and speak to me while I'm shaving. And John MacArthur's response was, look, I've just got one question. Do you stop shaving? Do you stop shaving? You see, when we meet with heavenly beings, when we meet with God, as it happens through the Bible, God means that we are arrested by it. Not that we just go on doing what we're doing, but that, that he, the Lord of the universe, his messengers or his message grabs our attention and turns our heads towards him. And um, I just want to say there's nothing casual about an encounter with the Lord of heaven or with one of his messengers or with his message but as we we see too how Daniel is affected by the message that he receives we need to pause just for a moment I think and consider the cost it involves sometimes for God's human messengers to bring his message to his people yet you look through the Old Testament and the prophets there coming and bringing the message of the Lord uh, to the people of God. You find over and over again, it costs them a great deal. They suffer for doing that. They suffer in their humanity. They suffer at the hands of others. They suffer in their circumstances, but it costs them to bring the message of God to people. We, we see it in the, in the New Testament as well. Paul 
he, he describes for us there in his letters what it has cost him to take the gospel out to all the places where he's found himself able to take it. It, it, is, it has cost him. We know that's the case for the apostles as well as they sought to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And, um, and we look at people like William Tyndale who produced for us the first English translation of the Bible. He spent years doing it illegally. Eventually, he produced the, the New Testament in 1526, and he went on to continue to work on the Old Testament until he was arrested and put to death for doing so in 1535. Now, I, I hesitate here, but I, I, think it's, I think it's worth saying also in just some small way, I, I find the same thing myself. I, I found myself having the privilege of being able to, to share the word of God with people, being given opportunity and position to be able to do so over a number of years. But I've got to tell you that it costs me. It costs me emotionally. It costs me mentally. It costs me spiritually. Every time I do it, I, I, I've, been, I've been in a pastoral role now for, for 20 odd years. I've, I've been preaching since I was about 18. And I have never found that it leaves me the burden that it is to bring the word of God to people, to open it up, to explain it, to seek to bring God's message to his people. It's just a small thing compared to these many, many people have gone before me, but it costs for God's message to come to us. Of course, most noticeably, we see the cost in Jesus Christ. We see the cost as he, as he humbles himself and, be, and becomes, takes on the, the form of humanity just like us. And he, and he lives amongst us. He dies in our place. And he, and he faithfully brings the word of God, the message of the kingdom of God to us. And wonderfully, wonderfully, he invites us to share in that. It, it cost Jesus to be the messenger of God. And to bring the message of God to us. Secondly, after, um, after seeing that Daniel was affected by God's messenger and, and his message, I want us to see that, that God is affected by Daniel's attitude. Now, I, I use that language carefully. I, I use the, the language of God being affected carefully because I, 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 I want to use the word affected and I, I want us to see that, that uh, Daniel's attitude affects beyond, beyond his human circumstances right there. And God is affected by Daniel's attitude. Let's have a look at verse 12 there. The, this heavenly being, he says to Daniel, Fear not, Daniel. For from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard. And I have come because of your words. In other words, heaven is responding to Daniel's prayer, to Daniel's attitude. We'll come to his prayer in a moment. But, but I want us to see that heaven responds to Daniel's attitude. 
that, uh, that word understand there that we see five times in this chapter. I'll put up four then, but I meant five. <laughs> five times in this chapter, understanding or understand is mentioned. It's a, it's a big deal. And, um, and we need to see that, that, that Daniel sets himself to understand to understand the times, to understand what God is meaning to communicate to his people, to understand what it means for him to be a faithful prophet. And I think that like Daniel, we can set ourselves to understand too. We can set ourselves to understand our world, our situations, the word of God. We can set ourselves to understand how God is working. Now, we may not get all the understanding we want. And, and we see that Daniel clearly didn't have all the understanding he wanted in the middle of, of some of the description that he's given. And often the understanding we want will only come in hindsight as we look back or it will only come with spiritual insight from God. Or it may only come when we are with God in eternity. We may not understand all we want to understand. But I think we see here that God is affected by that attitude, by an attitude that sets ourselves to understand. And repeatedly in the Bible, we see that God invites his people to seek understanding and wisdom. And wonderfully, as Jesus lives in us by his spirit, he loves to give us that understanding. And we can be encouraged by that. We can be inspired by that. We can be motivated by that to, to follow the example of Daniel, to seek to understand. You see, God doesn't mean for him or his word or his work to just be some abstract concept out there somewhere. He means for us to be affected as we seek to understand. Uh, Donna, we were... Um, in our sermon planning, we were, we were chatting about this last week and Donna said this and I thought it was worth us hearing. We believe the Bible is true, but we often don't think it's for us. That changes when we, when we set ourselves to seek to understand. But I want us also to see that God is affected by Daniel's humility. God notices Daniel's humility. And um, I don't know whether you can say this rightly, but God is impressed by Daniel's humility. You see, he, we, we see in verse 12 that uh, that's one of the reasons why, why revelation, why insight comes to Daniel. It's in response to his humility before God. Now, <laughs> it, that is ironic partly in this time because it was humility that caught the kings out. It was humility that caught out Nebuchadnezzar. It was humility that caught out Belshazzar. Daniel stands in contrast to that. In a whole lot of, of self-recommendation uh, self and self-praise and, and self-worship here in the book of Daniel, Daniel stands in contrast over and over again. He is humbling himself before God. And he presents himself as a humble servant uh, of God. And, um, and, and I, I, as I've looked through the book of Daniel, I don't see a hint of pride or self-righteousness here for Daniel. 
Remember, in the midst of that, Daniel's position. He's, he's third in charge, effectively. Enormous influence. Remember his faithfulness there in seeking after God. And yet there's nothing of pride and self-righteousness from Daniel. He, he is humble. And I think there's a question for us here. As we think about um, seeking to be faithful before God and faithfully being his, his messenger to the world around us and, and seeking to hold out his message faithfully, we need to keep asking ourselves, how do we show humility? In amongst the people of God, in amongst the people away from God, how do we show humility? Especially when, like Daniel, we have the impression that God is with us or God is using us or God is answering our prayer. Because that's the situation for Daniel here over and over again. He's had the impression that God is with him and yet he remains humble. He remains humble amongst his people. He remains humble uh, in the, amongst the world that he's in. And we know that's true because God says it's true. It's not just Daniel's opinion of his humility, it's, it's God's opinion of his humility. And so we see Daniel's attitude, Daniel's attitude of seeking to understand and Daniel's attitude of humility uh, affects God. And God responds to Daniel. He's impressed by it. Thirdly, and, uh, and finally, we see that the heavens are affected by Daniel's prayer. We see... Uh, Verse, uh, verse 12 and 13, um, he said to me, fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard. Now, we assume that that is from the time that he's been mourning and praying from verse two, three weeks. There's nothing magical about three weeks, um, but Daniel set himself to, to mourn and to pray. And, um, and his words have been heard, though. From the time he started praying. Um, and, um, and we see then that, uh, that as Daniel was praying, the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. But Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. For I was left there with the kings of Persia. And verse 14, I came. The heavens responded. God responded. I came in response to your prayer to make you understand what is happening to your people in the latter days, for the vision is for days yet to come. Daniel prayed. It's something we see regularly over and over again in this book. And, and maybe he was using the acronym PUSH, pray until something happens. I don't know, but it's a good one to use. Oh, I, and I put it to you, and, and I think it's worthy of your, of your, uh, your attention. If you prompt, feel prompted to pray, well, do so. And keep on persisting in that. If you know that, that, that you want to pray and it's good to pray, well, we'll do that and keep on persisting. If you feel burdened by what you see happening around you, well, pray and keep on doing so. This is what God's people do. I'm not telling it to you to say you should do that. I'm telling it to you to say this is what God's people do. We pray and we persist in doing so. And, and even as I say it, I feel challenged by it. Because I don't pray anywhere near enough. I sense that, uh, that as, as the church, we need to be praying more and more. I sense that, that we need to be on our knees before God and, and pleading persistently for his action, for his mercy. In our situations, in, in our church, in, in, our, in our state, in, in our land of Australia, 
And, and notice that, that Daniel's prayer affects this, this spiritual realm in which he has, um, has been given an insight to. And I think we need to reckon with the reality that there is so much more going on spiritually that we can see. In a logical, scientific world, we tend to think that we have to see in front of our eyes to believe. But God's word shows us here that's not the case. There is much more going on spiritually. And if we, if we write that off and say it's not happening, we don't do ourselves any favors and we don't do the kingdom of God any favors. It, it is a spiritual kingdom and it takes faith, spiritual eyes to believe in what we can't see. But be encouraged. That as we pray, God loves to respond. That as we pray, it, it, it has an effect in the heavens. Now hear me clearly, I'm not saying to you that every time we pray, that, that God will respond the way we hope. I'm not saying to you that God can only work in the heavens in response to our prayer. I am saying to you though, look at Daniel and be encouraged. As we pray, God loves to respond. It affects the spiritual realm. And so I guess as I finish, I want to urge you to consider chapter 10. I want to urge you to consider the, the humanity of Daniel here. And I'm looking for God to encounter us here in chapter 10. I'm looking for God to affect us in some way as he affected Daniel. And I'm looking for him to move us, to pray, to set ourselves before God in such a way that our spiritual universe, our history, is affected in our day. Let's pray and ask God to help us in that. Father, we, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for the truth it brings to us. We thank you for the faithfulness of Daniel. <laughs> we thank you for the faithfulness of Jesus Christ who gave himself for us that we might be your people wonderfully, not based on our merit but on his merit. And as we come today, as we see the example of Daniel, we, we don't come to earn your commendation. We ask that you would bring us with humble hearts before you on the basis of all we have in Jesus. And uh, you would affect us. We pray that you would affect us in such a way that, if, that it, it affects the way we we set our hearts, our attitudes towards you. I, I, I ask that you would affect us and lead us to, to pray, to, to be mourning before you. And as we do so, I ask that you would be pleased to act. I ask that you'd be pleased to have mercy uh, upon us, upon us personally, upon us as a church, upon the state and nation in which we, we live, I ask that you would act for your glory and for your honour. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.